Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Uh, The last few weeks we've been doing just a short series on relationships, Uh, so we've been working through some various aspects there, and today we're going to move into family. Uh, Picture this for a moment. This might be all too real for some people, but picture this for a moment. Uh, You've got a long weekend planned away. Uh, The family's very excited about the times ahead, and they're all looking forward to this uh, big weekend. You pack the car, you bundle everybody in, and there's a buzz about what's happening for the long weekend. Uh, You get about 30 minutes down the road. And then in the back seat, little toddy um, steals the pencil from Laurel in the back seat of the car. She screams and she pinches little toddy. And then toddy grabs the pencil and scribbles all over her book. And then Laurel goes and tips her water bottle all over him. Well, it's not real. I mean, you know, just imagine what I'm saying. But I think we've all been there to some extent. That sort of happens. Generally, hopefully, it's when they're younger. But that's... It's kids. It's kids. It's kids, isn't it? It's family. You don't plan that, but you're actually working out, hey, I've got a bit of a job in my hands here, thinking about bringing these precious little gifts into the world. And all of a sudden I discover I've got a place where I can teach, I can train, and I can raise children into maturity, uh, ultimately gospel-shaped maturity. So we're going to think about that today as we think about family as the place of relationship where here where God grows us and matures us in the context of family. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read just the passage there. Uh, before we go there, actually, um, we are going to do Q&A again after the talk today. I did have it here, I forgot to read it out. Joe, if you can just put that last slide up. So if you have any questions as we go through today's talk, you can go to your browser, type in Slido, and then type that number and we'll ask for an event number. So if you have any questions we're thinking about today, um, you can do that as well. Now you're thinking, gee, we've done a lot of Q&A the last few weeks. I promise you it's not going to be a regular thing. It's just this series is actually getting a few questions coming up. So that's just the platform we can use. So go to Slido, type that in, and that'll get you to the page where you can put your questions in anonymously for that. Uh, now back to, Deut- to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read um, the first nine verses. Now, now, this, now, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down, and when you rise, <coughs> pardon me, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
Lord, we thank you that we can come and open up uh, this passage here in Deuteronomy today. Lord, we pray now as we think about families, as we think about this uh, context, this dynamic that you've given us, gift, Lord, of uh, children. Uh, Lord, they're a place where we teach, train, raise and mature them to become disciples of Christ. Please help us to see that this morning as we think through this passage now. We ask that in your name, Lord. Amen. Cheers. Okay. Uh, as we're stepping through life, as we've been thinking the last few weeks, we've been thinking about single, think about dating, uh, think about marriage, and now we're moving to family. Uh, family, as God designed it, uh, should be one of the safest places for us to be in. It is the safety of our family. As God designed it, we find safety there, we find love, we find acceptance, uh, we find a place where we are known, everybody knows us within a family, uh, a place where we can grow and mature within that environment as well. One of the purposes of marriage is that we produce godly offspring children. Malachi 2.16 I think is the verse for that. It's one of the purposes of marriage that God's given to us. God's placed a beautiful desire within women to nurture and carry children. It's a wonderful thing. It's a maternal desire from the Lord. It's the way that God has created ladies to be maternal in that sense to carry and bear children. It's a glorious thing. That doesn't leave men out of the picture either in that sense. We can't obviously carry the child, but as men, um, I personally myself, I love children. Just as much as Laurel wanted children, so did I, very much so. And by God's grace, we have um, three daughters and a son. And I can say outside of Jesus, uh, my wife and our daughters and my son are probably the most precious relationships I have. I love them deeply and unreservedly. It's going to cough again. Okay, having said that, I also acknowledge here that not everybody can bear children. And that's painful for many, many people. In the brokenness of this world, in the mystery of God's providence, uh, some married couples will not be able to bear children. And that's uh, sad and painful for those couples as they experience that challenge and that difficulty. We must be aware of this and do all we can to love these people uh, through this pain. I'm going to cough again. Okay, take three, see where we go this time. Okay, so we must bear with those people through the pain of not being able to bear children. That's a, a difficult thing and a very, very sad and painful thing. Family, though, is an incredibly important part of God's design for his world. God created family. He gave Adam and Eve the ability to procreate, to conceive and to bear children. Every child that is conceived is a gift from the Lord. Every child that is conceived is a gift from the Lord and is made in the image of God. Really important to get that. Every child is an eternal being, infused with an eternal soul. Every child that comes into this world, in one sense, will never cease to exist. We find that really hard because we live in this time-bound world, but that's the reality, that all human beings are eternal beings. There's a part of us that will never cease to exist We understand that because we're made in the image of God, who is the eternal being as well. 
Uh, Family is a place of relationship. It's a place where we live side by side and share life together. We experience times and seasons of joy and pleasure and happiness. We have lots of that in family. But at the same time, we have experienced tension, isolation, ridicule, sadness, anger, and even hatred within families. Some families are highly dysfunctional, highly dysfunctional, and some people are just cut off from their families, not that they want to be, but that's where they experience in that. So family can be a place of both agony, the pain of broken relationships and dysfunction, but a place also of ecstasy and the safety of what God's created for us as well. So we want to think about family today the way God has designed it and how the gospel redeems family for his glory and for our joy and growth uh, in family as well. Here's where we want to go. Family is a place designed by God to teach, train, raise and mature people uh, in the truth and love of Jesus Christ to make disciples uh, of the Lord. Family is a place uh, designed by God to teach, train, raise and mature people Uh, in the truth and the love of Jesus Christ to make disciples uh, of the Lord. Okay, so as we think about family, we'll we'll think about it from a perspective of how the world views family, but a definition first. What is family? Uh, Family we mean by father and mother and children, either conceived uh, biologically or adopted. That's another beautiful picture of family as well. For those who can't conceive, adoption is a great way to actually still have a great, loving and wholesome family as well. Family has children. It's about to come back again in a minute, I think. In some ways, the world does see the significance of family and they value children and they understand that family is to be protected as much as possible in the world where we live. Uh, The government does put in rules for the safety of family in those things and the protection of children. Uh, Only, what, six or seven weeks ago, the world is outraged when the uh, Hamas terrorists... Uh, go into Israel and they murder babies inside their cots and they kidnap children and take them back over as hostages into Palestine. The world's outraged by this. Why? Because we value children. We value family. We see there's an intrinsic value in that. We want those families to be reunited. And as we know now, some of those families are being reunited with some of those um, things that have taken place over the last day or so. So on one hand, yes, the world can value family. But on the other hand, the world can also take a low view of family and children as well. We have our own state government here that legalises the murder of unborn children in their mother's womb. Uh, Millions and millions and millions of children across the world every year are murdered inside the very safest place they could be, inside their mother's womb. That's no value on children at all when it's like that. That's how this world thinks about children sometimes, happy to murder them inside their mother's womb. Another thing where we seem to um, devalue children, it's going to come. Another place where we devalue children is a marriage breakdown. It's a really sad thing. We lose sight of the precious gift that God's given to us in children. And what do they become? They become collateral damage inside the breakdown of a marriage. Children are the biggest losers when it comes to a family breakdown. The one stable relationship that they thought they could count on for the rest of their lives, the one solid thing in their life, crumbles before their very eyes. 
it's often, when that takes place, it's like their life shatters, like a glass vase being thrown onto the concrete for a child to actually go through marriage breakdown and to experience what takes place there. In that sense, children are devalued at times. Not often by both parties, but possibly by one of those parties involved there. Often in this world, the concept of family is also devalued by our selfish agenda or our self-centred lives. Uh, We miss the very thing that God's given to us and fail to undertake the responsibility he's given to us uh, to raise children, to know and to love uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Uh, we don't see that as a, in, the, in the world as a, as a whole and we miss this very opportunity and we devalue children because of that, uh, not fulfilling that mandate we're supposed to have. Hence, when we have it like that, we have this disastrous breakdown of society all around about us that we experience right now. Children, teenagers, often with no responsible parents invested in their lives guiding them, shaping them, helping them mature, uh, running amok and causing all sorts of destruction and mayhem. You've got to watch it on the news down in Melbourne and sometimes even here in our own local town of Shepparton. Uh, these kids, these teenagers, sometimes they're only 12 years old, stealing cars, doing whatever, because they've got no parents seeing the value of the child and they're investing themselves into the life of that child to shape them, to form them, to help them to grow and mature uh, into an adult. Why? Is it like that? Because this world has rejected the Lord. We've gone our own way and we now reap the consequences of that through the brokenness of our families and the brokenness of this society where we live. That's how the world can see family or value children or devalue children in that way. But that's not God's way. God's created a beautiful thing in family And he desires and seeks and and enables us to redeem it uh, for his glory. Family is a privilege and an awesome responsibility uh, to to help people we love dearly uh, to know and love Jesus as their highest treasure. That is the aim here. This is the the big thing we want to see uh, in Christian families raising children in the relationship here of family. And and what what Moses does in Deuteronomy 6 is lay down this principle for family that is the central most important thing you can do for your family or as a family. Context is Israel stands on the edge of the promised land. They're about to go into the promised land. What will this land be? Well, it will be the promised land, but it's also going to be a land full of temptations and a a land full of trials and deceptions that will try and lead them away from the Lord. So the Lord's leading them into this promised land and uh, he knows what's in there. So they're on the edge of this and Moses is about to now tell them what the Lord has told him to actually help them navigate their way through this uh, new land. Now in many respects, it's no different for us today. We don't stand on the edge of the promised land as such, but we also bring children into a world that will face a whole range of temptations and deceptions to draw them away from the Lord, to draw them away from the one true God. One of the greatest places of temptation and deception that we will find ourselves in with this world will be with our smartphone. Not so much the smartphone's evil, it's not, it's the stuff that's on the smartphone that that the kids are now accessible to is the challenge. The content and the voices that will constantly influence them or try and influence them via their smartphone device will have devastating effects upon them. 
And they're very cleverly crafted in what they do with putting stuff and content up onto the smartphone. Now, I've read a whole stack of research over the last couple of years. Um, Since 2007, with the first iPhone that came onto the market back then, there's been a massive spike in mental health for teenagers, uh, suicide rates for teenagers, and also gender confusion has gone off the charts. And they can track it back to 2007. It's just rapidly gone up at that point. It just happens to coincide with the first release of the smartphone is in the iPhone, where people could access, access this world of information at their fingertips. Nothing wrong with the phone. It's the content that's on the phone. It's the world we live in. So here's Moses standing on the edge of the promised land and the Lord's telling them, this is what you need to navigate this world with now so you don't fall for the deceptions and lies we're about to go and do. Here's where he goes, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1. And we're going to step through these verses here as Moses is talking to the people of Israel. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them into the land which you are going over to possess it. What's God done? God has given Moses the truth of God's word. Commandments, statutes, rules, God's word. This is how you live. This is how you live in a broken world. You'll need this going to this land full of temptations and full of trials and full of deceptions. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Moses is saying, we submit ourselves to God's word. Here's the light in a dark place to help us navigate through these trials, deceptions and temptations. And we do this for multiple generations, Moses says. Your son and your son's sons. It's not something you just pass on once, but you want, you're passing this on for multiple generations. It's like passing on the baton of the gospel, the truth of God's word. So that what we should do is fear the Lord, that is to reverence and worship the one true God. Uh, verse 3 becomes uh, important. Verse 3, hear therefore, Moses is getting their attention, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen up, he says. Hear. Pay attention. Wake up. Listen to what I'm about to say, Israel. Follow the truth of the Lord so that all things may go well with you. What does Moses mean when he says that? Well, he doesn't mean a pain and problem-free life. He's not talking about that. What he's saying is this. This means that the truth I'm now giving you that the Lord has given to us, what that means is this will help you not to be deceived by the lies and the temptations and the deceptions that you'll have in this world and then you will live a better life because you won't be deceived by that. So listen up, Moses says. So you'll, it'll go well for you by following the truth of God's word. Verses 4 and 5. He says again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. He's talking about the description of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's the great commandment of the Bible. It's understanding and acknowledging who God is. He is the central being of our lives. Again, Moses says, listen up, pay attention, 
There's only one God. We have a world full of idols. We are all great at making things that we want to worship in our lives. We're all great at making things that become central in our lives. He's saying, no, there's only one being that is central, and that is God. He's worthy of and deserves all of our love and devotion with every aspect of our being and who we are. We need to make no mistake here. God is central in our lives. He must be central in our lives. Not money, not career, not homes, not even children are central in our lives. It must be God and God alone who is central in our lives. Everything else flows out of that central uh, location we find ourselves in. Verse 6, now Moses follows on. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's a really important verse right there. Really important verse. The truth about who God is, as Moses is revealing that now to the Israelites, and as we can see it in the pages of Scripture now, uh, the truth about who God is uh, and how we should live in reverence before him and worship this one true God who's given us breath and life, who is the central being of the world and the central being of our lives, isn't meant to be sort of just some locked away thought in the back of our minds that we just pull out every now and again. You know, like when we get in a bit of trouble, we just sort of call upon God, and when life gets good again, well, we just park God away again. No. He says there, this truth shall be on your heart, gripping our soul, deep within us. It becomes a living, breathing word that grips every part of who we are. And what that does is it, it, project, it presents a person who captivates our very soul. It's got to be on our heart, Moses says. It's got to be gripping us who God is and this central uh, being that he is in our lives. It's a way of seeing and doing life that we feel deeply about, not just sort of touch the surface every now and again, something that's deep inside of us. And with that, Moses then goes on to say this in verses 7 to 9. You shall teach them diligently. This is the truth of who God is. Diligently to your children. You shall talk to them about the truth of who God is. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them. This is the truth of God's word. As a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, it's like God's word is something that's constantly spinning around inside of our hearts and our minds as we're thinking about life. Not that we're walking around reading a Bible all the day, but, but God's word's guiding and leading us through every decision, every thought we have in life. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. <clears throat> and Moses is saying something to us here. The truth that God's given to us, revealed to us, is to be consistently and continually communicated to our children. Firstly, us on our heart, but then consistently and continually we are communicating this to the next generation. Teaching, training, raising our children to know who God is. To take, look, when he says there, when you, come, when you go to bed, when you get up, when you walk, he's like saying every opportunity you've got how can you communicate who God is to the next generation? Make that the most important thing that you do. And this is the goal 
for our children in family, in relationships. The goal is this. We want them to become disciples of Jesus. That is the goal of family. So hear me clearly, that, that is the goal. If you, if you have a son or a daughter, your goal is to raise them with everything you've got to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is more important than a successful university degree or career. Jesus is way more important than teaching them how to fix an engine or ride a motorbike. Jesus is way more important than teaching them how to be a good mother, bake a good cake and have good fashion sense. Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're just not the most important thing. Because you can teach them all those things, and if they don't know who Christ is, they'll perish forever. The most important thing we can do is teach them about who God is, who Jesus is, what Christ has done for us. You see, if we major on those other things, some of the practical things of life and things that are good, and give them very little teaching about who Jesus is, we're actually failing to do the most loving thing we can do for our family or our children. We're not getting the thing as the most important thing. We're actually getting these side things in and distracting us away from the important thing and teaching about God. And we need to understand this about our kids. They come into this world broken. Your 12-week-old baby lying in the cot looks so cute and adorable that you want to eat them is broken through and through. They just haven't exhibited that brokenness to you yet, except maybe at 3 o'clock in the morning when they start crying. They're broken. They are utterly broken. Let me assure you of that right now. They're not old enough to actually show their brokenness. It's coming. They are broken through and through. They look cute, they look adorable in their bunny rug and all rugged up, but they're broken. You need to understand that about our kids. We do. And they grow up in this world now absorbing all this information as they grow and they mature with their minds are processing these things. And they're making decisions with all this information that comes into their mind. And they, one of the things is they move through this world really not knowing who they are. They sort of see what other people are doing and they think, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like those people. They move through this world not knowing who they are or how they're meant to live or what they're meant to live for. Now, they don't think about that perhaps at five or six or seven or eight. I get that. But later on at sort of 15, 16, 17 and on, they're starting to think about these bigger questions. And there's a massive um, gap out there with, with what we call identity crisis. These, these kids, these teenagers, they have no idea who they are. They've got no idea what they're living for or who they're living for. And they, they actually go and seek out answers for this in life because they get, they get these questions come. And this is where the smartphone comes back in. Uh, that's where they look for answers for these things. And when they do that, they run this massively high risk of going down all sorts of dark paths here of feeding themselves on lies and deceptions, trying to find the answers for life. Dark roads that will ultimately lead to death and destruction. Um, Transgender issues, uh, as I said before, from 2007, have just gone off the charts because of people's access to all these lies and deceptions. You know know what happens when when they get perhaps a bit confused about their sexuality or they've got questions about gender? 
They go into the bedroom and they lock the door and they pull their phone out and they just start searching anything, anything. And their minds just go down these dark pathways. And as I said before, they are cleverly crafted on those websites and social media, YouTube stuff. It seems so convincing and you're feeling exactly the same. I can't believe it. You're feeling the same thing I'm feeling. Well, then you're not actually a boy now. You're actually a girl. And they just, they just get by into this and they're gone. It's a dangerous world out there. That's why Moses comes and he says, we need to be teaching them the truth about who God is. So when they ask these questions later on, they're armed now with the ability to actually overcome these trials, deceptions and temptations. What has God given us? He's given us a family, a place where we can teach, a place where we can train, a place where we can raise and mature our children into adults who know the truth of who Jesus is and they're equipped to navigate the world of lies that will come at them and there'll be a world of lies that will come at them. Not only to know Jesus as in a mental perception, but actually to love him, to love him as their Lord and Saviour. It's the big difference between knowing and loving. It's it's the combination of. How do we do this? Well, God calls fathers to set the pace. Here, along with the support of their mother, to complement what he's doing here in leading the home. We looked at that last week, where the man is the head of the home. Ephesians 6.4 follows on from that. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I've got to be careful on that one sometimes because I just like to tease a little bit too much and I just go a bit too fast sometimes. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's Moses talking about in Deuteronomy and here's Paul talking about a few thousand years later. Same thing. Teach, train in the instruction of the Lord, in the discipline of knowing who God is. This is the gospel at work. Each person playing their role and raising the next generation. Now, what a privilege this is, that we have the words of truth and life and we actually can pass them on to the next generation. What an important task this is as well to do that. Think about this. We actually get to make an eternal impact on the lives of our children. That's a big thing. That's a glorious thing. I think about this for myself. I get to take one thing to heaven with me. One thing. And it's not my favourite book. I get to take one thing with me to heaven, it's my family. It's the only possible thing that I can take to heaven with me is my family. I'll do anything to have my family in heaven with me. I'll take every opportunity I can to somehow influence, instruct and help to get my family to be in heaven with me. Earlier this year we did did a trip around Europe uh, and what made that enjoyable for me was actually to do it together as a family. I love my family. But seven weeks in Europe, it won't, won't be a patch on heaven. I'll do all that I can to get my family together with me in heaven. And I have that privilege and that uh, opportunity to instruct and to live and influence so they would see who Christ is and not fall for the lies and deceptions of this world. Let's flip this around then. That's from the parents to teach and train and instruct what Moses has been telling us about. Just take every opportunity. Let's flip it around. Children, you have to see that your parents are a gift from God. Now, maybe not all parents are because they're broken vessels as well. But those who are truly trying to follow the Lord are a gift 
from God. Let's see what it says there in Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's not wrong, it's right to obey your parents in the Lord. Honour your father and your mother. It can be difficult if you're in a family where the parents are unsaved, but you can still find lots of ways to honour your mother and your father through that. Still do that. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Again, um, that's a reflection. You do the right thing, you'll avoid these pitfalls and temptations and troubles in life. Now, it's natural. Kids, if you're listening here today, and perhaps you should have brought them all back in again, it's natural here that you want to resist your parents' authority. It's completely natural. It's not good, but it's natural. It's natural because you are born with a rebel's heart. We're all born with a rebel's heart. That's, that's part of the sinful nature within us. Now, our disposition is to rebel and push back against your parents' rule. You just don't want to do it because you know better than them, even though you're only 13 and they're 30-something. You just, somehow you worked it out that you know better than them. It's natural that you want to do that, but it's wrong. And if you continue down that pathway of pushing back and rebelling against your parents, there's only one pathway you're pursuing. That's destruction and pain. You reject your um, godly parents who are trying to help you. Okay, you'll reap pain and you'll reap destruction and you'll reap brokenness in your life. Now, it's going to stop here and draw a line. Hey, I'm aware that I'm painting a big picture here in the sense of principles of how God's let it down. Uh, love God with all our heart. Take every opportunity to tell the next generation about who is. Um, it's parents' duty primarily to do that because they have the most time to influence that next generation. And that's big picture stuff. And I know amongst that there's different contexts. I'm a single parent. I'm married to an unbeliever. How do I do that when I'm married to an unbeliever? We'll think about some of this in, in just a moment. But I'm just making myself uh, aware there are different contexts. Well, you don't know the son or daughter I've got. They are seriously a rebel. And I've met some that they are an absolute handful and they're like 12 or 13 years old. And by 14 and 15, this one was in a um, down at um, the corrections uh, prison down in Melbourne. They're about 14 years old. It was just, this guy was off the charts. So I know that. And again, I'm happy to say, hey, you can only do what you can do in that situation. Just maximise the opportunities you can maximise and that's all you can do sometimes in those really tough situations. And again, I'm keen to catch up with anybody through the week to say, hey, I'd like to talk some more about that. Can you help me? You give me a call and I'll be, I'll be more than uh, glad to catch up. Here's a few practical helps in trying to think about, well, how do I do that, Todd? How do I make the most of every opportunity? What do I do? Well, first of all, start off young. Don't wait until they're 12 or 13. Okay, I'll start that now. Day dot. Just simply praying over your child in the cot. Lord, help me to love this child. Help me to train this child to be a disciple of Jesus. And as soon as you're able to have conversation and there's a bit of understanding there, you start reading the Bible to them in an age-appropriate way. Not an hour-long sermon to a four-year-old. It's not going to go well, okay? It ain't going to work. You find something age-appropriate to suit that four-year-old and you begin right then or two years old. And start, just little bits, a few minutes here and there. Every day, do that. Read Christian biographies to your family. You might have thought, what the heck are you talking about? 
Um, we've read about five or six over the years to our family, and we've always chosen uh, missionaries to demonstrate Christian sacrifice and service. You can get them at Kurong. They're only maybe about 120 pages, and they're age-appropriate again. Short chapters, about three or four pages. I know our kids have loved them. Um, but one we read about was David Livingston in Africa. Another one was Gladys Aylward. She's got a, a marvellous story, an incredible story, how she went from England to get into China. We read that over a couple of months. At the end of the mealtime, pull the book out. Let's just read the next chapter in Gladys Aylward. That's a great thing. Let your family see that mum and dad set aside personal time for Bible reading and prayer every day. Let them see that. Not that you're trying to show off, but let them see that, hang on, mum and dad love the Bible. Because we're not going to be here forever. I'm going to die at some point. So I'm hoping there's a lasting memory with my kids, adults. Actually, dad loved to read the Bible. Dad loved to pray. That does something. It communicates something to them when they see that happening. So actually make a point where, whether it's regular at a certain time at a certain place, let them see that. That's a good thing to communicate to the next generation. Uh, Teach them about the hard things in life, how Jesus enables us to get through these times. So don't just bemoan the hard times of life. Take them as an opportunity to show how the Holy Spirit is working through us, shaping us and changing us, and talk about how we go through difficult times. That also communicates to the next generation, hey, Jesus is here in the tough times and he's shaping us and he's moulding us through that as well. And he doesn't leave us. That communicates something to them. Teach your family that being with God's people is a high priority. Church on Sunday with a gathered corporate body of people is a big thing. Because we do it sort of in small microcosm family, but then we get to meet here with a hundred other people And we actually see the the larger body coming and loving and serving each other and loving and serving Christ. Church becomes a big problem, not not because we want to see the numbers go up here, because it's a good thing. It's a God thing. If they've got part-time jobs, which is good, don't allow them to take any shifts at all that clash with church or youth. Don't do that. The moment you choose work, a shift at Macca's or whatever, ahead of church or youth, you're sending a message to your teenager. Do you know what the message is? Work's more important than youth group. Go to to work first and we'll fit in youth where we can. Wrong move. You're sending the wrong message. Get a job, great, you take no shifts on Friday night and you take no shifts on Sunday. That's communicating something. It's a high priority to be with God's people. You're communicating something to them. Uh, Family dynamic is a fluid thing. It's a changing context. They're getting older and they're changing. So we're not talking about just little kids all the time, that they go into teenage years. So you've got to adapt there as well. And the way we influence has got to change too through those sort of changing years. Now, what our older teenagers or young adult family need to see uh, within us is the real deal when it comes to gospel-shaped living from us as parents. There's a sense where we're just communicating through the younger years, but you've probably done enough of that now, in a sense. You still want to do some of it, but in a different way. But they've actually got to see the real deal now living out through us. That it's not just talk, 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 talk. It's actually walking it out 
in life. And they're actually, you become this living testimony of what you believe. So as you get older, that's a great part of our influence, that, hey, not only do mum and dad love and serve Jesus on Sunday and through the week, and they also love and serve him when it's really hard as well, I actually see that uh, he's genuine. Mum and dad truly love Jesus, no matter what they're going through, because I can see it evidenced now in their lives. That speaks into the lives of your teenagers and your young adults. Now, you need to be aware too that the change of our teenagers that they're going through in the sense of um, they want to talk more. Not all of them do, some do. And you've got to be prepared to have longer conversations at inconvenient times. I'm a sort of guy, 10, 10 30, 11-ish, I need to go to bed. I just, I've got to go to bed. Sometimes I find myself out in the living room talking with one of our daughters or our son and it's like quarter to one in the morning. But that's when they want to talk about something. Make the most of that opportunity. I'm sure that it will give you a little bit extra energy just at that moment to do that. But they are some of the greatest conversations you can have because there's something on their mind and finally at about half past 11, quarter to 12, he or she wants to bring it up. Great, let's spend the next hour or so talking about it. At profitable times. Taking time then to pray with them at the end of that. And I would say pray with them through everything. Pray before exams, license tests, whatever they're going through in life. Just let them see again that mum and dad love them. We want to pray about everything and we want to bring it before the Lord and everything. All these things are communicating like when they rise, when they wake up, when we get down the road, that we're taking all these opportunities to keep communicating that God is central in our lives. And we do that. Okay, a lot's been said. Where do, we, where do we get the strength to carry out this task? Where do we get the conviction and the ability to carry out this glorious privilege? It's got to be more than, it's got to be something within us that's gripping us. It's got to be something inside because we can't just do it from our head. It's got to be something that drives us. Jesus Christ drives and motivates all that gloriously and powerfully within us. When we truly meet Jesus and we're convicted with the immense power and confidence that he has given to us and we can launch into this task with all of our hearts, with the freedom that I'm not doing this to earn something from the Lord, with the freedom from the salvation that he's given to me, I can now actually have a part to play in those below me receiving that. Christ's conviction is what what convicts us. Now, I'm conscious also when I say that, Particularly here for um, kids, you might think, I failed. Mum and dad have told me to do stuff and I just argue, 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 argue. Push back, push back, push back all the time. Fight, 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 fight. Well, you need to look to Jesus. The reason why, he's the ultimate son, the ultimate son who never once failed God the Father. And he stands in the gap for us to bring us forgiveness. He sets you free now to now honour and respect and obey your parents. And as parents, you might sit here and say, yeah, I failed too. I've lost my cool, got angry, kids have seen it, I've blown it, I've actually been very self-indulgent, I've given up really doing anything with the kids. Well, we need to see Christ as well. Why? Because he is the one who reconciles us with the perfect father who loves us, forgives us and enables us to rise again and to also carry out our tasks today. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the opportunity to come this morning and uh, think about relationships. Lord, I have said lots of things and lots of people in front of me, Lord, thinking about what I've said and coming from different backgrounds and different contexts. Father, we thank you that you have given us this glorious privilege and task uh, to bring children into this world. You've also equipped us and enabled us, Lord, today uh, to raise disciples in Christ. Lord, as we think about that now, we also think about those who failed, and that's every single one of us. Whether not respecting our parents or actually not carrying out our uh, duties properly. Help us to come back and see that the Lord uh, rescues and saves us and, as it were, restarts us again to be able to step up to the plate and to do uh, what we can from the place of already being saved in you, but now to bring honour and glory to your name by being obedient to our parents or doing our best to instruct the next generation on how to follow the Lord. Help us with that, Lord, I pray. Uh, Father, I ask that and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've got three questions. Um, yep. Uh, first question, uh, anonymous, obviously. As Christians, should we use fertility treatments available, such as IVF, etc.? Uh, so, should we use IVF? Where does God's will lie if you can't conceive children naturally? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, that's that's a great desire of of. Uh, a woman to have a baby, and as we live in this world, hey, we can't, always, that, always, that won't always be possible. Um, fertility treatments is, is a big issue. Um, the, the challenge with fertility treatments, and I'm not no, by no means an expert on this, but I have spoken with people that have done this, Christians. What they'll ask you to do, I think, and some of you might know this better than me, um, when they want to have uh, conceive, they might want you to conceive maybe 15 embryos or something of, of a large number and then you might only use two or three of those and then what do you do with the other 12 or 13 embryos? Well, they're not embryos. Well, they are, but they're actually conception. It's life. Christian thought is life takes place at conception. So what I've heard done is they say, okay, how many um, embryos do you want to conceive? And Christian couples say three. So that way, they're, and they're going to, they intend to use all three embryos. Okay, so you're not going to actually abort the other 12 embryos. So you can make use of fertility treatments. You just need to think about the pressure that the company will put on you. Oh, three's not very many. What if you get a fail or whatever? You really should do 10. I'm only doing three. And I've spoken to some parents of a couple and that's the journey they went through and they lost one of the three it didn't take or whatever and they just, okay, that's, they were happy with that. You know, sad it didn't take but they weren't ever going to take an extra embryos in that way. Yeah, there's probably a longer conversation with that but it, I think it's ethically okay providing you work on the number you're, that you are viably going to use and not, not abort any of those embryos. Where does God's will lie if you can't conceive children naturally? Well, I think that's, um, that's God's providence over your life at that point. You know, there's been lots of people um, where, where that's just happened in life. That's sad, it's really unfortunate, um, but I think we can say that that is God's will for you, his, his revealed will that, hey, you're not able to bear children at this time. 
So we want to come alongside you and love you and support you and then maybe encourage you that you might want to adopt or, or seek another way to have a family. Tough stuff, that's really tough stuff. What if a female doesn't have a desire to bear children? Well, that's okay. nothing wrong with that. I mean, but if you get married to a husband and he's really keen to have children, well then maybe you should have spoken about that before you got married because that's going to create some sort of challenge for you down the track. Nothing wrong with not wanting to bear children. That's fine. But if you're going to be obviously married, you need to make sure your husband's on the same page, otherwise you've got some, you've got some dramas coming your way. What do you think is the appropriate age for a child to have a smartphone slash social media? Um, okay, example, in our family, uh, they didn't get a smartphone until year 12. So that's when they got their first phone was year 12, which uh, Elliot was the second last person out of his class to get a phone. Everybody else had them in sort of grade 6 and year 7 onwards, but um, uh, that was cool. They didn't need a phone. Um, and part of the rules was um, we get to just grab the phone anytime we like and see what they're doing, which doesn't mean they can't still hide stuff because they're very good at hiding things on apps, behind apps, behind apps, so to speak, but still full access to their phones. Um, but for us, I, I would say, gee, oh, do you need a phone when you're 15? I'd say no. They'll say desperately, yes, I do, but no. What for? Maybe it's... 18, when they're obviously driving somewhere and they have a breakdown or something like that. That's for you to work out, but I would say push it back as far as you can because that, that, that smartphone is not evil, but the stuff you can get on that smartphone will actually poison their minds. Um, Uh, what advice can you give to your children who may have experienced or know friends who are in a Christian home where they feel they're being abused? Um, you would encourage those, um, uh, those kids in that home uh, to go to a trusted person outside that family and tell them what's happening so they can actually receive some sort of help. If they're getting abused in some way, if they're within the church, they can go to some other a uh, person, a trusted person, a mature person at church, they can actually share that difficult situation with in that way. Um, that's, that's a difficult one, but yeah, I would be advising them, hey, go, go find somebody um, and then share what's happening in, inside your home. What is your opinion about vaccines that may contain fetal cells? I'm not sure that's really in the realm of family. Um, I might just leave that one. It's a good question, but I'm not sure I'm even in the position to uh, answer that one. I'm thinking you're probably the person thinking around the ethics of that. That's certainly something to consider, uh, but I just haven't thought enough around it myself to give um, any sort of answer there. Last question. Uh, what if when you teach children about Jesus, but they refuse? Yep, um, I was, that's a good, good question. Uh, this is not formulaic as in just A plus B equals C, do this, do this, and equals that. I mean, you, I know of families where kids have come from really loving families. Uh, their parents have done all they can to influence in every possible way and lived out the gospel authentically, as best I could see as well. And I know in that sense, um, there's 
two of those four kids that just three of those four kids who want nothing to do with Jesus at this stage and they're now into their 30s so they're not teenagers pray just pray don't give up praying and don't give up living out Christ as well uh, it's a really really hard spot to be in share your journey with other people as well One last thing I'll just add, and then we will uh, make it a wrap. We won't do a last song, Gabs. Uh, one last thing I'll add is um, uh, what role does the church have in all this? So, so is, it, is, is church supposed to be the vehicle where they're supposed to get knowledge and teaching and training about who um, Jesus is? Well, well, the church plays a secondary role because you think about it. We have about an hour and a half here on Sunday morning and in youth we have a couple of hours on a Friday night. So that's, that's the only... And encouragement to go to Bible study. There might be a couple of hours. So two hours Friday, two hours Wednesday, hour and a half on Sunday, what's that? Five and a half hours of the week. They have some connection here. But if you think about what's happening in your home, you've got way more than five and a half hours. You've got multiple hours where you can influence. So the home is the primary place to receive instruction and help and you are the biggest influencers in the lives of your kids. What is church? Church hopefully becomes a complementary action on top of what you're already doing. So when they hear what you've got to say at home on a regular basis, they come here and they hear, ah, that's the same thing that mum and dad are saying at home. Ah, Gee, when I go to youth, I'm hearing the same thing that mum and dad are saying. So it's meant to be another environment complementing on top of what you're doing at home. Don't ever see the church as, I'll send them to church and that'll fix them. You've got the most influence at home. You've got the most time at home. So it starts there and the church complements on top of that. Really important to see that role there. I've gone way over time, but thank you for your patience and perseverance. Um, Grab a cup of tea and coffee. And if you do want to come and see me about anything else, please feel free to come and do that. But thanks very much. Here's a book I would recommend um, for kids. It's called Big Truths for Young Hearts. I didn't, I didn't follow my script, sorry. Uh, great book for teaching young kids about God. Uh, next one, Ted Tripp. Um, brilliant book for children. Probably the, the pick of Christian books. Shepherding a Child's Heart. If you've got small kids, you've got to get that book. Next one. Uh, teenagers, The Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens. Um, those three resources are just really helpful and they'll explore a whole range of other things that, that I couldn't even possibly cover today. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email, but we'd love for you to join us in person as well.